Welcome to the podcast of Grace and Peace Church. These are the teachings from our Sunday gatherings. We are supported by listeners like you who find value in the mission of discipleship. If you'd like to give financially, check out our website, our Instagram, or our Facebook for the giving tab. And thank you for partnering with us and keeping the mission alive. Grace and peace to you. I can tell you from sitting with the text that uh, meaning and purpose can be found in each of the various contemplative voices that we're going to listen to today. And the outcomes that we're going to reflect on, they're going to range from practical to hopeful, nothing more, nothing less. And I want to say it's an important meditation. And the timing in light of circumstances around the world probably can't be lost on us. But still, if we're a little uncomfortable with the subject of mortality, at least we're considering it all together. We're safe, we're warm, we're with people that we love, we've got muffins and hot drinks, we're in the middle of a Sabbath rest. So in this rather ideal moment then, I'll just lay it on the table Memento mori, remember that you will die. Now you may know that this Latin phrase, memento mori, is linked to ancient Roman military history and also to Plato, Socrates, Seneca, the Stoic philosophers in the first and second centuries. In each case, through all their writings, the gist of the argument is this. Remember death, or consider the fragility of human life so that in your daily activity, your moment-by-moment choices, you're grounded in the present and operating as though the present is precious. Now, Christian writings in the same period and beyond that were not much different, except that they might discuss eternity or concrete morality, So, for example, this non-canonical book of Sirach recorded a similar phrase. In all you do, remember the end of your life, and then you will never sin. But truly, the, the broader and general good purpose of meditation on mortality seems to be to encourage fullness of life and to avoid wasting our days on foolish endeavors and spiteful rejection of goodness and hope. Do you know who knew a thing or two about wasted days? Moses. (laughs) You can name anybody. (laughs) Me. (laughs) Does anyone remember how much time Moses spent just wandering around in the desert with Israel moaning at his heels? Anyone? 40 years, right? Guess what portion of that time was recorded in human history? Two years. Just two notable years. Everything that we think we know about Moses and the exodus from Egypt is captured in just two years, which leaves 38 years essentially unaccounted for. Unless we consider Psalm 90, 
which is thought to be Moses' reflection on those 13,000 plus maybe wasted days. So this is our first reading. It's from Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Oh, we've got a captain here now. (laughs) (laughs) Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now, you may recall that Moses undertook this daunting challenge to face down Pharaoh and lead Israel across land and sea to a place of peace and promise, only to learn that he would never enter that sanctuary. As a result of his disobedience along the way, Moses forfeited his right to enjoy that good outcome in his lifetime. And yet, as he looked back on his days, it was not with resentment toward God for disciplining him, but with awe and respect for the Lord's divine power and historic goodness in spite of it. God Almighty always was and always would be the one within whom the nation could have safely dwelt, but against whom... The nation turned their affection and frittered away their days. And so at that moment, Moses was out there in the sand saying, Guys, guys, you know we're going to die, right? 70, 80 years, who knows? But we could, we should be doing better than to fill our days with sorrow and trouble. Teach us to number our days, prayed Moses, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Let our hearts be wise, pleaded Moses. Let us not be fools who hear the word of God and yet persist in doing what is right in our own eyes. After all, what do fools know about purposeful days and hopeful ends? Moses was so concerned about the gap between divine purpose and humanity's response to it that he addressed a whole nation and urged them to push back against aimlessness and frivolity. But thousands of years later, this question, what are we here for, still pricks the human heart. Now, Shakespeare weighed in on that matter. 
And this is an image from Act 5, scene 1 of Hamlet. <clears throat> There's a grave digger here. That's Horatio. And just carelessly unearthed, <clears throat> unearthed a set of bones and the skull of a man that Hamlet once knew. And I'm going to invite Jack up. <clears throat> the skull of a man he once knew. <laughs> Alas, poor Yorick, I knew him, Horatio, a fellow of infinite jest of most excellent fancy. He hath borne me on his back a thousand times, and now how abhorred in my imagination it is. My gorge rims at it. Here hung those lips I have kissed I know not how oft. Where be your gibes now, your gambles, your songs, your flashes of merriment that were once to set the table on a roar? Not one now to mock your own grinning, quite a trap fallen. <laughs> Earnest plea for wisdom in the face of life's end. And then there's Hamlet looking into the face of a fool already gone. Now, is anyone here an English major? Okay, sweet. <laughs> Just, you're going to have to forgive like my Sparks Notes summary here. But we just need to know, in a really literal sense, Yorick was the jester in Hamlet's father's court. He's this clown of sort. He let Hamlet, when Hamlet was a little guy, ride piggyback through the halls. And he brought riotous laughter to the host and the guest of Hamlet's father, the king of Denmark. But now Hamlet realizes that the merriment of days past is just lost in death. This jawbone doesn't even support a grin. The days of the fool have ended and seemingly amounted to nothing. Now Hamlet later notes that the same would be true of powerful leaders like Caesar and Alexander all would turn to clay, and neither fool nor great men would escape the mean dirt. So if all life comes to an end, what is there for us to do? But live well and enter eternity. That was Moses' point. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. How then should we go about living? Somewhere between Moses and Shakespeare, the Apostle Paul shared his thoughts about that. Now, if you were here last week, you might remember that Nate worked through the story of the wise and the foolish bridesmaids, and he left off reading this. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Now, in that parable from Matthew, Jesus was instructing people to prepare themselves for the coming of the Son of Man, telling them to be vigilant, in a state of readiness to meet the author of their salvation, to meet their maker. And we'll hear that refrain again. Now, our second reading for today has Paul picking up on that thread and explaining to the believers in Thessalonica how they should live in the tension of knowing that Jesus would return, but not knowing when that day would come. 
So this is 1 Thessalonians 5. Now, brothers and sisters, about the times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, peace, safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light, children of the day. We do not belong to the light or the darkness. So then, let us not be like the others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. Where Moses bemoaned Israel's wasted days and begged wisdom of the Lord, and where Shakespeare mused about the demise of fools and greats alike, Paul considered the distinction between children of darkness and children of the light. And this is where we, who are believers, are meant to sit up and take note. If we are children of the light as in the light of Christ, followers who are sold out to his way and purposed to his mission of love, then we are also children of the day. Therefore, it is our charge and privilege to live every day worthy of our calling. It is ours to be awake. Not like staying up at all hours, but being alert with eyes on the kingdom and eyes on the world. Eyes on Jesus and eyes on those he loves. Listening and responding to the word of God and to the cries of this world. That's a good day living. And it's ours to be sober. That's a solid truth. But it's also less of a literal statement and more of a commentary on mindfulness. Be present, pay attention, look up. Resist mindless distraction that inhibits us from truly interacting and affecting the world. Our tiny part that we're responsible for, those we've been sat alongside to be compassionate toward. See people, check in on them. That's a day well spent. And it's ours to be faithful. Don't leave 38 years unaccounted for as though nothing in those days was worth taking into account. Don't leave even one day tossed on the dirt haphazardly like a set of bones. Be decisive about whom and what you place your faith in and then let faith determine your course. Make good choices and spend your day as well.
and be loving. Carpe diem. I just learned this week that carpe diem does not mean seize the day in some violent or conquering sense, but to pluck the day as one would gather a blooming flower or perfectly ripe piece of fruit to enjoy it at that moment, trusting as little as possible in the next moment. So be loving in each moment, not neglecting a fond good morning or a good night kiss, a shared meal, a cut in line to a burdened stranger, whatever the moment calls for, and graciously so, just love all day long like Jesus. And be hopeful. Coming to his end, Moses still hoped for wisdom for all the people that they might redeem their last days. And similarly, Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, hopeful that they would choose wisely in their days. He knew what they were called to be. He knew that they had the teachings of Christ to guide them. And he knew that in community, they had the strength to persevere. Like all children of the day, they just needed to remain in the light. That is a tight list. And that is the remedy to futility. Be awake, be sober, be faithful, be loving, be hopeful. Or to Moses' point, roll all that up and be wise. Memento mori. And live as children of the light. Carpe diem. And put on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. And do all the good you can in all the ways you can to all the souls you can in every place you can at all the times you can with all the zeal you can as long as you ever can. And to borrow one more quote, actually lyrics, and shamelessly misappropriate them, (laughs) I want Mumford and Sons to wrap up this fragility of life theme and put a bow on it for us. And it wouldn't be the worst thing if this chorus got stuck in our heads. In these bodies we will live, in these bodies we will die. For where you invest your love, you invest your life. In these bodies we will live, in these bodies we will die. Where you invest your love, you invest your life. Awake my soul, awake my soul, awake my soul. For you were made to meet your maker. You were made to meet your maker. I honestly don't know what the band intended with this song. But the lyrics just land on me as truth, and they echo Paul and Moses, so I'm going to take that. And I'm going to leave that there, but prayer will be our final word. So will you join me in praying for ourselves and for each other? Redeem our every moment, Lord. Teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Awaken us to righteousness 
awake our souls. Teach us where to invest love so that we may live toward you. Show us the good that you would do in a day and give us this day the will to do it in your name. Amen. And we'll leave with this. Rejoice in knowing that we never walk alone. Know the grace and peace of Christ walking beside us, guiding and protecting us. Share this comfort with one another and feel his presence each moment of each day. Amen.